should really, really just start with, uh, and I would, I would advise that you start with a DTF because it's simple, it's easy to understand, and you get a nice mix of diversification. Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, where we discuss all things money, because whether or not we like it, money matters. Now, as humans, we're quite voyeuristic. We love to know what other people are getting up to, which is why social media is so compulsive. And this is equally true about other people's money. We really want to know how other people spend their money and how they invest it. This has created a whole genre on social media of money bloggers, people who share their experiences around money. They don't claim to be experts, but in sharing their views, they start conversations. And one of these is Brett, who writes a blog called ETF Enthusiast, where he openly shares his investment decisions and the reason why he invests as he does. He writes about how he's planning his investments to provide a passive income one day. And I thought this would be a great conversation for this podcast. So welcome, Brett, and thank you onto the thank you, welcome onto the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast. No, it's a pleasure. Yeah. No, it's my it's my first official podcast recording. So yeah, um, nervous and excited at the same time, but thanks for having me. Well, Brett, as you're just talking about yourself, which is always the easiest thing to talk about. So that's absolutely fine. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's the hard part to talk about yourself. But yeah. Brett, just just quickly, um, this is not your full-time job. You you have a blog, you have a talk a little bit about what it's like, why you decided to do this. Why are you blogging and having a column and doing all these things about your money? What what brought you to this this space? I think it started um it started with friends, um, sort of comparing what what they were doing with their money. A friend said you know, my my dad and me started looking at investments and made me feel a bit like I'm missing out. Started also with a bit with the uncle sharing um, his investment portfolio with me and saying, "What am I doing?" You know, to make sure that I I have you know in a, in a better position one day. So that's kind of where it started, and then that that sparked an interest in me. You know, outside of uh, uh, social um, social connections to go and, and read and research myself and yeah from there it just became really a passion um, and I was doing it at a stage when I started where the where the conversation in this country online was you know it was very institutional it wasn't necessarily a lot from from individuals' perspectives. Um, so I tried my hand at writing very badly, I must say, for for many years. Um, still badly, I still do it very badly, but I've at least gotten a little bit better. And yeah, I just share share my own approach, my own journey, um, and and yeah, it's it's really just continued to evolve from that passion. Mm. And and your um, it's did you find that it reinforces your discipline? So if you've set out this plan and you're sharing this plan with everybody, do you feel like that kind of holds you accountable? Is it kind of a peer accountability mechanism as well? Yeah, no, it definitely is, um, and it helps you refine your own ideas because not you know something can sometimes make sense in your head um but then the next month or the next week 
you feel slightly different. So, you know, once you think about it and you write it down and you put it out there, uh, it really, it really helps you um, reinforce the ideas um, and and you know build them build build them at a level in your mind that becomes more uh, it becomes more established as a long term strategy or goal. Mm. Um, so it's actually something I encourage everyone to do, which is you know even if you're not writing on the internet. Um, to write down their approaches um, and what it means in their own situation um, so that you have a level of commitment to these ideas for a long period of time. Because, mm. um, yeah, these things do change and my approaches do change, but ever increasingly, they change less frequently, uh, you know, over the long, over the long term. So, and and do you find you get feedback? So when you do a post or you do a tweet or anything like that, people give you kind of input. Have you ever found like that's been kind of like, oh, okay, I've changed my mind because I've had somebody responding? Or Yeah, yeah. You get used to different types of feedback. So there's the feedback that's just like um, quite flippant and like you would be silly to do that. But you get used to that and you, you kind of take it for what it is and, and – um, and just look into what they're talking about. Um, but then you get the really good feedback that, um, that I've had many times and had to change my approaches to things many times. Um, yeah, from very, uh, from people that, that I more often, you know, uh, try to try to into their ideas, know what they're thinking and what they're doing. Um, yeah, I think a lot of that, there's a lot of that in, in, in money and, and investing and finance. You, you do look, you look, you look to others to establish your own ideas first. And I definitely got that a lot from my blog um, and definitely a lot from whether it be Twitter or other, other blogs. Um, it's a big part of how I, you know, feel about my own strategy today. Mm-hmm. It feels to me like it's just this very, it's this virtual investment club almost, isn't it? I mean, in the sense of it is this kind of peer thing where you you, you can share ideas. Um, and I, I think it's been incredibly powerful. I mean, obviously, there's dangers to it because, and you're very clear, yeah. this is not advice. This is, And I think it's very important to say this is a, for me, this works for me for these reasons. Um, and one has to be very careful about generalizing. But, um, you know, there are some golden rules and golden threads that, that, that run through it. And I just want to put up there first of all. You are you're married. You've just got a little little girl, uh, so congratulations yes. on that. You save a significant amount of your income. Just tell the listeners how much you save every month. Yeah, so it was quite consistently over the last, and I've been tracking it quite religiously for about six years now. Um, I'm now 29, almost 30. So, so since I sort of entered the workplace, I started uh, tracking, you know, what I spend and what I earn um, and what I save. And I got, yeah, consistently about 40% of my total income um, goes towards savings and investing. Um, I must say it's creeping down this year because of having a daughter. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the principle is just as, as my income has moved, not only have I, I have used it to improve my standard of living, that's for sure, 
um, and I will continue to do that. But the, the, the proportion that I do save and invest, um, which is a big part of how I, you know, um, want to live my life in the future, um, that's remained fairly consistent. So I can at least feel very happy for, for where I've come from and what I have accomplished today. I mean, absolutely. And I, I think we always say to people, you know, if you get into the discipline of saving a high percentage of your salary right from the beginning, then that's just part of the budget. You know, it's not something that, you know, it's very hard 20 years in to suddenly or even 10 years in to suddenly say, I'm going to take 40 percent of my salary away effectively, which, you know, my, of my spending away. So so the fact that you've done it so early on um, and and developed it is is absolutely phenomenal. But what do you think that you have to and I'm using the word sacrifice with inverted commas, because I think. We mustn't be in this mindset that we're giving up stuff. We, we're building towards a future. We're building towards something that we really believe in and, and, and is going to give us financial freedom. But what are the things that you kind of don't do that you see people who are saving less do do? Let's put it that way. Um, look, I, I think a lot of it comes down to priorities, um, you know, and understanding yourself and what, what makes you happy. Um, I know if my wife had it her way, we would probably we probably would go on weekends away every other week. Um, so I mean, if there's one aspect, it's probably it's probably that. Um, and I probably do pull her back slightly and say like, let's plan them out for the year. There are still some spontaneous ones, um, but I think overall, like it's it's just how I've prioritized what I do spend on. Um, and I do spend money. I spend, you know, still quite a lot on restaurants. I go out and enjoy myself quite a lot with that. Um, we're going to uh, we're going to Laka Long next uh, this Sunday, which is a very fancy restaurant um, here in Cape Town. So yeah, there's 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 room for that, um, and definitely it's on the experience side that I I enjoy spending money for. But on the physical possession side, I've probably not, um, you know, chased much there. I don't have, I, I, I had a Honda Ballard from the age of 20, which I sort of funded with 40,000 Rand through tennis coaching. Um, and I had that car for 10, almost 10 years. Um, yeah, I sold it. I, I just got a new car last year. So um, I had that Honda Ballard for. And did you finance uh, the car? No, 40,000 Rand cash. I was lucky to find it. Um, and then I was in a good position last year to also have built up enough mm. savings to, to not have to finance it. So, you know, Brett, that's, yeah, that's something I do as well. I only buy with cash. So I, I hold on to my cars for 10, 12 years, and then I've built up enough cash to, again, do it in cash because of the thought of paying finance on a car. And, and I'm always shocked. I'm always shocked when I see the amount of money that people land up paying on financing. Um, and it's an incredibly expensive thing to have. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> I think my very yeah. first car was was financed. Um but, and, but then I haven't ever since then had, had car finance, so which is a really great plus. Mm -hmm. But I want to get onto your, your investing. So you're obviously able to put away 40% of your income or have it been until the baby was born. Um, and just by the way, Brett, that's the whole important thing. If that's the one thing I can get through to 
younger people, and I didn't do enough of it. It's before the mortgage and the children and all of that, you have a lot more disposable income. Trust me, when the kids arrive, their disposable income is... (laughs) You want to be doing this before the kids arrive, okay? So so that's the key thing. But where do you... um, Just talk a little bit about your investment strategy, because it is on your blog, and I find it very, very interesting the way way you've diversified, but also how you are planning on turning that into an income stream for you later on. Because a lot of people think, oh, when they think income stream, they think, oh, I must have a rental property. Um, they don't realize that you can do that through investing in, in shares and, and even exchange-traded funds. Yeah, so I think that's definitely the, the priority for me um, within my investing strategy um, is exchange-traded funds. And that's it's mainly because of research I've done um, and the research that's available in the market um, that that really shows that not only is it the simplest way, but you know most of the time it's the most effective way um, to perform ahead of um, or perform in line with how the market performs and ahead of much of the competitive competition that you see in the financial markets. Um, so that's definitely the, been the priority and the bedrock of my investment strategy and why my blog is called ETF Enthusiast um, because, yeah, I think it's something that should be part of everyone's portfolio. Um, definitely my first money goes into a tax-free savings account every month. Um, and I've narrowed it down to really just being buying one, one ETF um, now that's well diversified um, and that's global um, and that's low cost. Um, and I've become confident enough in it to not, you know, not seek a lot of other things with my money, Um, you know, less excitement that, you know, I feel like missing out on a Bitcoin trend or missing out here or there um, on the latest fads that you that you hear every other week. Um, So that's definitely the first priority. Um, And that in the future is, is I do plan for that to fund most of my living expenses. Most of that become from dividend income. And then there'll also be a portion where you can sell some of that assets um, off eventually. Um, and then, excuse me, <coughs> obviously being part of a um, company, I do have a retirement fund. Uh, so that's, a, that's obviously a necessary evil, let's call it, because it's quite strict. Um, but it does have some tax advantages. Um, so with that, um, that's probably going to be with me for, for some time because I am working for a company and that eventually will turn uh, one day into either a guaranteed or a living annuity that will fund um, an income for me. Um, and then I do have an investment property. I bought it very early on. Uh, probably when I couldn't actually afford it. Um, but obviously it's become more affordable for me over time uh, as my income increased. And I think I've gotten quite lucky with it. Um, I don't think it's always the best investment. You can often overpay um, and have an underperform on returns and have a very costly situation when it comes to properties. But I do think I've gotten fairly lucky with it um, and I've managed it fairly well. And I haven't had to put much money in. So it is still, and I would like to keep it because the, the, the yield of 
income return um, monthly compared to some of my other sort of investments is, you know, it's still something that can, can form a small portion of my income one day in retirement. Um, so I do own that. Um, yeah, and I think those are probably the, the big three um, of how I intend to fund my fund myself one day when I no longer want to work. Mm. Um, but the big one being dividends, mm. um, and that's the priority. Yeah, and and I think for me that's my dividends are my big strategy. I actually I actually invest uh, my money in in and even my retirement annuities invested in in dividend um, yielding investments uh, because I want to one day only draw my dividends um, and not touch the capital. And I, I think it's something that is so misunderstood in investments. Everybody talks about the capital return. Um, and I saw it work so well with my mom. You know, I, I worked for a stockbroking firm. And at the time, my mom, we invested my mom's money in, in, a, in a dividend portfolio. And, you know, she's gone through the ups and downs of the 2008 crash, the COVID crash, this new name, the crashes she's been through. And she keeps saying to me, but Maya, I don't understand why I'm still getting this income that goes up every year. And that's because it's a dividend portfolio. Uh, portfolio. So, you know, as long as the companies, you know, there was a little bit of blip, obviously, with, with COVID, where, where some of the banks didn't pay dividends uh, for a short period, but even now they're, they're really paying them again. So your risk there is so much lower than relying on selling capital. Um, you know, if you had to yeah. pull out of your living annuity capital in, in March 2020, you would have been in big trouble. So, uh, you know, and I, I, I try and talk about it a lot, but people just, it, it's, it's, it seems to be something nobody really wants to talk about because it's not sexy. It's a lot more sexy to talk about the share price or Bitcoin, all of these things. Yeah. And that's what I have, the problem I have with Bitcoin as well. Is it's, it's just this volatile share price. You're just betting on, or not even share price, asset price. You're just betting on this price. You know, for me, I want to know that I, I'm going to d- develop an income stream from it. So I think you and I are quite aligned on that. And of course, investment property has, I think it is, it has a place. I'm not crazy about it because I couldn't be bothered uh, with tenants. Um, <laughs> so that's why I'm not sitting in property. But, it, you know, you've got a really well diversified portfolio there. And your um in terms of your one day when you're not going to work i mean do you have a financial freedom idea so that doesn't mean you're going to stop working it just means you you're you're going to reach a point where your income could cover your expenses yes how far away are you from that oh i yeah i do track it um uh sort of as a as a number that i do need to get to in order to reach these goals um, I am about, let's call it uh, quite far away, um, about 20% there, um, but it is an exponential curve. So, you know, a lot of the work needs to be done now and you won't make much progress on that number, um, but because of compound interest, you will make a lot of, you will make a lot of ground, um, you know, in a, in a decade or, you know, in the final, final few years of, of the strategy. So. I think I'm comfortable where I'm at. Um, you know, it's not always easy to see other people doing um, uh, crazy capital growth and all that. And you feel like, okay, sure, maybe I'm missing out. But I've become confident and happy with where I'm at. And I think, yeah, if I carry on going, I, I, will, I will definitely reach, reach the goals. But I mean, that compounding is, it is so unbelievably powerful. I mean, if you're just running a, a 10% return per annum over long term, it's doubling every seven years. So, you know, when you get to your first million, that means in seven years, it's 2 million 
then it's 4 million, then it's 8 million. So that compounding difference between the millions starts growing and growing and growing. So, you know, I I was explaining this the other day. I said, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, most people at the age of 30 have about 100,000 rand sitting in their pension funds, right? And that's when they cash it in because it looks 100,000 rand. Mm -hmm. It's not a lot of investment money, but it can sort out my debts, right? The market bounds back. The market now gives you, say, a 15% return that year. Um, you're 10,000 rand, 15, you get 15,000 rand back and you're thinking, well, you know, not so. What if it's a million? That million gives you 150,000 rand back for the same market in the same investments, identical. And you don't realize it unless you keep that 100,000 and keep growing it, it's never going to get to the million. And it's only when you start getting into the millions that you start to see that incredible power of, of compounding and growth and all the rest of it. So I think that is, and that's a very hard message I find for for people to get through to younger people um, because there's so much more to spend money on. Yes. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, they understand what it means to have compound interest, but there's, the, the experience is definitely lacking mm-hmm. um, in seeing it play out practically. Um, so that's why you'll find a lot of people that are new to this, um, you know, money moves around like it's, like it's water from one thing to another. Um, and it takes a couple of years, you know, to start having that confidence that, okay, no, it needs to stay put if I'm actually going to make it. But and for some, it doesn't, some, it never sticks and money just moves around. And, and, you know, the more, the more levers you're pulling, the more you're probably damaging your own returns mm. and compound interest benefits over time. Well, you're probably at a point where if you even stopped contributing, compounding will start doing quite a lot of work for you. So, 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 even, so yeah. with your baby and and all the rest of it, you don't have to be beating yourself up too much because you've got you've got you've you've done the right thing. You're using time to catch it up uh, instead of the contributions. But I wanted to ask you, um, you know, a lot of people whenever I do a podcast or an article on ETFs or anything, they say, "Where do I start?" Hmm. So what do you say where if somebody's just like, I, I want to start, I'm listening to this, I want to begin, how do I choose? And I think for me, the irritation is that when exchange traded funds first came out, and let me tell you, I was probably one of the first investors in 2002, okay, I invested. Yeah. <laughs> so um, some people weren't even born then. Um, and I, um, but they it, they proliferated. So there's almost too much choice. You go onto the Satrix website and you feel like a little bit daunted by by the choice now. I mean, how how would you, yeah, yeah how do you go about it? Yeah, I think it's not, there's no easy answer. Um, I think that everyone has to start. So where do you start is always, you know, tricky. Do you just, do you just buy the most simple, I mean, like I know what I would do, which now in hindsight, which was buy the the simplest, most, um, most broad, which is most holding the most companies um, and cheapest ETF I can find. Um, and just stick to that. Um, so that's, you know, in hindsight, but I didn't start that way. The way I started was messier. You know, I bought the Satrix 40 and then the equal weight 40 because, you know, of some methodology differences that I thought might be beneficial, which ended up not being. And then I moved it to, um, I moved it to the Indian and then I moved, you know what I mean? So it's, it's messy. Um, so, I, I always just think start simple and start with something you understand, like the Satrix 40, and then build your own investment philosophy from there. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean, you can look at what I've 
you can look at what I invest in and you can copy me and then you can do the same um, and, and figure out what works for you. Mm. Um, I think, I think it's, a, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult one that's, that's quite personal. Um, but getting, opening an account and getting money in an ETF, that's, you know, that's 80% of the battle. Um, and then 20% of the battle is just sticking, sticking with your decision. Um, most people don't even get there. So I think that's that's the most important thing. As long as the money is going into something, um, although I, I would I would strongly avoid any very single asset uh, or high concentration risk like property, for example. So we saw a lot of the ETF property ETFs were very yeah. popular um, before the great crash um, of uh, and property market crash in two thousand and eight, and then again property was again hit in in two thousand and twenty. So. You've got, you know, property has been is one of those ones that I think you, you do. I agree with you. I think good diversification and not trying to guess the second next best trend. And I was smiling a bit when you said, you know, the new fancy valuation techniques come out. So I had Rafi. I took out the Satrix Rafi exactly yeah. for that reason. And it frigging lag out everybody, else, all the other things for a while. And then I was looking at my portfolio thinking, yeah, I just need to, to just consolidate a bit. And I saw the Rafi's actually done really, really well <laughs> recently. So... Maybe it's not so bad to have a little bit of diversification within there. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. And, and um, you know, also for yeah. me, I, I have I have a retirement annuity. I do believe in them. I know you were you different. I, I've, I, I've done the numbers and there's a lot of other things like estate duty and credit protection and all the rest of it for me. Yeah. But because of that, I, I'm heavily weighted offshore for my discretionary funds. Because I'm I'm limited in South Africa. So, you know, you also need to look at your situation. Um, and I also, I'm not a big fan of saying have no South Africa in your thing. Because, boy, have you been hurt this year. We're one of the best performing stock markets in the world. Um, and I've got all the, all the analysis to show um, that actually yeah. a good blend of them. And like it is, diversification really, really works. I think for me, the, I, I would want to be weighted more international than South Africa. Um, personally, probably 70, 30 or 80, 20 to international. And that's mainly because I also want to, I want my assets to hold value with, you know, world currencies. Um, and often when you, when you invest internationally, you're investing not only in the assets that are listed offshore, but um, in, it's also in that currency. So I want to travel. I probably want to live overseas as well and work overseas. Um, so that probably increases my bias to want to have higher offshore weightings um, for for that reason. But yeah, it's everyone's and and you only develop that understanding, uh, you know, as you go. So it's it's impossible to get it all right first time. Yeah, I mean, I sit actually with my offshore holdings are offshore, as they're not even South African. So, you know, and for that reason as well, I want to have diversification. I want to have risk diversification. I want to have all of those things. So I think you need to look at your your personal situation and and make a make a decision from there. But, you know, I must just tell you, I was I was pulling some graphs. And um, over the last 18 years, the JSC has outperformed the MSCI in in rands. So um, it's only in the last 12 years, um, if you look, and that was literally a, a short period of about four years where we underperformed quite significantly. So again, this argument that, you know, people forget things go up and down and they move in, in roundabouts. So yeah, again, we keep coming back to this word diversification. So <laughs> yeah, uh, great. 
But, um, Brett, I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming on. But are there any kind of like last tip, tips that you would like to give to give listeners who are just, you know, wanting to get in there, who want to save 40% of their salary to one day financial freedom? No, I think I think the most important thing is to get started with some sort of um, investment uh, in, like, you should really, really just start with, uh, and I would I would advise that you start with a DTF because it's simple, it's easy to understand, and you get a nice mix of diversification um, in risk in a in a sort of uh, not the not the most uh, risky field that you could put your money. Like if I think of some of the other things that are around today, um, it's good consistent uh, performance over the long term. So I, I really think that you know just starting is is half the battle. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's uh, that's probably the the key message that I would give. Um, and and that monthly debit order, rand cost averaging, you know, just yeah. you know, not having to try and second guess the market. Is it up? Is it down? Is now a good time to put my money in? If you're just putting the debit order in every month, oh, it's going to work out. <laughs> and also, I think comparisons to others, like you can look at my 40% number or my 20% of my goals achieved. And it, it it can motivate some, but it also can make some people feel, you know, I'm behind. Um, and I think, I think that's, we all feel that at some stage when we look at what other people are doing and what they're achieving. Um, but I think, I think looking at where you are today um, as your own point of reference, and not, you know, not uh, th- that's got to be your measurement for success, and and not others. I mean, the world is so unequitable as it is that um, we can't get hung up on how others are doing compared to ourselves. So, I think I think find some acceptance of where you are today, and use that as a measure for your own success going forward. I think that's an important lesson. I think that's a brilliant point, Brett, because everybody has different. Uh, pressures, uh, uh, family issues, family they need to support. Not everybody's in the same position, uh, but I think the yes. bottom line is is that you know you need to you need to be putting some money away. So just start. That's probably it. Yeah. Just start. Just start. <laughs> so great. Well, thank you so much, Brett. And um, I'm going to be keeping keeping an eye on your blog, and um, we will put the handle. Um, for, but it is ETF enthusiast. You can find him on on Twitter, and the website is also it's etfenthusiast.co.za. You've been listening to the My Money My Lifestyle podcast, featuring the contributors of the City Press personal finance pages. <laughs>